Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And so Genesis 3.15, bruising of the heel of the Lord Jesus Christ is a heel bruising that he received in essence on the cross as he lifted up his heel to crush the head of the snake And when he did that, he suffered on the cross that final strike that the serpent had, which is referred to as the bruising of the heel. And that's why it's so significant that after he was risen from the dead and he comes to his disciples in Luke 24, 39 through 40, he says, behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. So the bruising of the heel of the Lord Jesus Christ during the crushing of the head of the Satan serpent is what's being talked about in 1 John 3, 8, when it says, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil, make him have to throw out the funeral announcements and cover the grave back up. In Luke 10, 18, and he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. And John 12, 31, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And the demons knew, they knew that he had come as the head crusher of their leader, Satan. And they said to him in Matthew 8, 29, and behold, they cried out saying, what have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time. They knew. In John 1, 29, John the Baptist knew also when he said, behold the Lamb of God. What happens to a lamb? He gets sacrificed. Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. In Isaiah 53, 12, Isaiah knew. He said, he hath poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors. He bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So in verse 9, we now see Ishmael in a new light. It's not sibling rivalry here. We now see Ishmael as the 14-year-old son of Abraham that Abraham has loved for 14 years, that Abraham has expressed his love to by pouring out his heart to God for him in a prayer that was very revealing in Genesis 17, 18, when Abraham said unto God, oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. See, that short seven-word prayer tells us a lot when he says, oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. When the first word, when he says, oh, we can feel the moving of Abraham's heart, Abraham the father's heart for Ishmael, his son, whom he loves. And with that word, oh, we can feel all the yearning of Abraham's father's heart for Ishmael, his son, who he loves. 
And with those words, oh, that Ishmael, we can see that Abraham is now caring, he's a caring father, and he's bringing his loved son to God, his loved son Ishmael to God. And with those words, oh, that Ishmael, we can see Abraham as a worried father, as bringing his son Ishmael, his loved son Ishmael, to God. See, he says, oh, that Ishmael, we can see Abraham thinking to himself, my son Ishmael will not come to God by himself. So with those words, oh, that Ishmael, he's saying, I'm going to bring him to God. And with those words, oh, that Ishmael, you can see Abraham worried. He's worried over his son Ishmael because he knows that Ishmael has no interest in God. He knows that Ishmael has no interest in God's promises. He knows that Ishmael thinks he has no need for God. So Abraham is so frustrated as he looks on his son Ishmael and says, how is it possible for me to have a son who I love so much, I've poured so much into it, I've invested so much into it, and he has no interest in God or his promises. How's it possible for me to have a son that I love so much who thinks he has no need for God when I have my life? All I show every day is how much I need God. And Abraham has spent so much time with Ishmael showing him how to know God as King David the father did with his son Solomon when with the eyes of love that only a caring father can have, he looks into the eyes of Solomon his son and he says the words of 1 Chronicles 28, 9, And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind, for the Lord searcheth all hearts, understandeth all the imaginations of thoughts. If thou seek him, he'll be found of thee. If thou forsake him, he'll cast thee off forever. As David did to his son, Solomon, we can see Abraham with those same eyes of love and concern, looking to the eyes of of Ishmael and saying the same words of 1 Chronicles 28, 9. And thou, Ishmael, my son, know thou the God of thy father. Serve him with a perfect heart with a willing mind. So David addresses Solomon as my son. And we can hear Abraham address Ishmael as my son. And as David told Solomon his son, life's priority, life's number one priority, above everything else, forget about the temple, all the other stuff, just your number one priority, know thou the God of thy father. And we can hear Abraham tell Ishmael his son, life's first priority for you, Ishmael, know thou the God of thy father. And so David then challenges Solomon his son to make his life work to be serve the Lord. And we can see Abraham challenging Ishmael and saying, your life's work is to serve the Lord. And Abraham did what David did. David cautioned Solomon, his son, Solomon, when you serve God, make sure you have a whole heart and a willing mind when you serve God. And we can see Abraham doing the same thing with Ishmael. Ishmael, when you serve God, make sure you have a whole heart and a willing mind. See, Abraham did everything that he could to teach Ishmael by his life to know God, to guide Ishmael to serve God, to steer Ishmael to have a whole heart and a perfect mind, I mean a perfect heart and a willing mind when he was serving God. But with all that Abraham had done, finally Ishmael reaches this 14 years old, this age of accountability, and in verse nine we see this nature and this characteristic, this character of Ishmael just come out when it says he was mocking. See, Ishmael mocking reveals his nature. It reveals his character 
that Ishmael has chosen for himself. He chose that character. He chose that nature in spite of everything that Abraham has done for Ishmael. And in the end, Abraham could not control the choice that Ishmael made for himself. And that was a heartbreak for poor Abraham, the father, to see his son Ishmael mocking. It was a heartbreak for Abraham to see that. Isaac was not just the brother of Abraham. Isaac was the child God promised. God promised Isaac. So the heartbreak for Abraham when he saw Ishmael mocking or heard about it was that he was mocking God's promised child. Ishmael was mocking God when he was mocking Isaac because Isaac was the child of promise. And by Ishmael mocking God, Abraham was broken in frustration and sadness and he felt like an utter failure as a father. By seeing Ishmael mock God's promised child, Abraham felt that all he had invested into Ishmael for these 14 years had just failed, gone up in smoke. And by seeing Ishmael mock God's promised child, Abraham felt all the teaching, all the training, all the guiding, all the love, all the prayers, all the steering of Ishmael had just come to nothing. I failed. And it wasn't Abraham's fault. It was not Abraham's fault. Because no one can control the choice of another, not even a father. It wasn't Abraham's fault. It was Ishmael's choice. And for us as parents who have seen our own children turn away from God, we can't control them any more than Abraham could control the choice of his children, Isaac. I know what you're thinking. I know you're thinking that that doesn't square with Proverbs 22.6 that says, train up a child in the way that he should go. Now you got the promise that when he is old, you will not depart from it. Now in the English, that appears like a promise. That verse appears on the surface to be giving an absolute guarantee. I train up a child when he's young, and then when he's, he'll, he won't depart from the training. But in the Hebrew, that's not what that verse is saying. The misinterpretation of that verse as a promise centers on how we understand the one word, when. It's translated when. That word was translated when is the word key, key. That's the same word as the last, it's used in the last verse of Psalm 22, where it says, they shall come and declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born. That he hath done this. Key, Asa. Key is that. And when you substitute the word that in place of when, a meaning kind of changes. And a meaning kind of comes up like this. Train up a child in the way that he should go while you have the opportunity of training him as a child and train him in such a way that when you no longer have this opportunity to train him as a child, that he should be able to remember what you told him and view what you are doing now when you're training your child as setting a course that he should stay on that course when he is old. No guarantees. Only what you should do when you have the chance. Train up a child in the way that he should go so that when he is old, you train him now so he won't depart. But it's not saying 100% you got a guarantee there. That changes the meaning dramatically because it's no longer a promise for how the child's decisions are going to be made, which we can't control. Nobody can in our children anymore that Abraham could control the decision in Ishmael. So when Ishmael mocked Isaac, it was so painful for Abraham because Ishmael was not just mocking Isaac. Ishmael was mocking God. Ishmael was mocking Abraham. Ishmael was mocking Sarah. All the God believers, he was mocking. And he mocked his father for trusting in God to receive him. And this was just as the enemies of God mocked the Lord Jesus Christ for trusting to deliver him, as we mentioned. 
You know, they said, he trusted, they said, he trusted the Lord that he'd deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing delight in him. Ishmael mocked Isaac for being the child of promise that came from two parents that were as good as dead. That's what it says. And his title was the son of Abraham, Isaac's title. That's how they mocked the Lord Jesus Christ, for his claim to come alive again from the dead and for his title of being the son of God in Matthew 27, 40, and saying, thou that destroyest the temple and builds it in three days, save thyself, if thou be, here comes the title, the son of God, come down from the cross. Ishmael mocked Isaac for being chosen by God instead of Ishmael. So there's a lot of envy and jealousy there. Just as they mocked the Lord Jesus Christ for his title as being the Messiah, the chosen of God, in Luke 23, 35, and the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, he saved others, let him save himself, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. In verse 9, when Ishmael was mocking, he was expressing his unbelief in God. He was expressing his envy and his jealousy against Isaac. He was expressing his pride over Isaac and contempt against Abraham and Sarah. Now, verse 10. So now we're back, now we're looking at Sarah. And it says, Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be here with my son, even with Isaac. So, Ishmael mocking, as we said, is just too much for Sarah, and she hit the boiling point, and boy, it starts off with these words. Sarah said unto Abraham. She sees Ishmael, and she boils over, and she turns to Abraham. Oh, boy, poor Abraham. Feel sorry for him now, I'm telling you. Anyway, so from these words, we understand how Sarah, with all her furious anger, has now directed herself in a fight, not against Ishmael directly for his mocking, the Isaac, and Sarah does not address herself to fight directly against Hagar, whom she hates with a passion, but instead she pours out all her fury on Abraham, who's caught in the middle of all this. Bad position, Abraham. So with those words to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son. We can feel this fury in Sarah against Hagar, and it's now all directed on Abraham. And we can also feel the tremendous pressure that poor Abraham's under. We can hear Abraham saying under his breath, you know why we got all these problems? It's because of you. You're the one who ordered me to make a baby with Hagar. Well, now this baby that you ordered me to make, he could say, the last time I listened to you, you know, look what the destruction of the peace in my home. Now you want me to listen to you again, and now I'm supposed to be a murderer and send out these two into a waterless desert. So you can imagine how Abraham was not exactly inclined to listen to Sarah this time. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and the Hebrew word that Sarah has used for cast out is the word garash. And it's the same word that's used for divorce in Leviticus. It's the same word that's used for drive out or thrust out. It's the same word that was used to describe how Pharaoh sent out the Jewish people after he'd experienced all the plague in Exodus 11 and 1. And the Lord said unto Moses, yet will I bring one more plague upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterwards he will let you go out. When he shall let you go, he shall surely thrust you out. Hence together, all together. That's the strongest words that Sarah could have used to express how she wanted what she wanted done with Hagar and Ishmael. You know, it was a get out and never come back. And all this fury falls on Abraham. And notice in verse 10 how Sarah refers to Hagar, not by her name, but the bondwoman, cast out this bondwoman. 
And this shows how much she despises Hagar, this bondwoman. And in verse 9, it says that Sarah saw Ishmael mocking, and her anger was focused on Ishmael. But she, she says, cast out the son of this bondwoman, this Egyptian. So Sarah really hates Hagar, and Sarah sees Ishmael mocking, and that was just the gasoline on the fire. So now we come, he said, again we see in verse 10 how Sarah drives on the position of Ishmael as she calls him the son of this bondwoman. By calling Ishmael the son of this bondwoman, Sarah is in essence saying to Abraham, Ishmael is not your son. He's the son of this bondwoman. It's very hard for Abraham to hear this. I mean, Sarah has just snapped. She's just snapped here. And notice how up to this point, Isaac has been referred to in verse 2 as Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age. So she has born Abraham a son. This is Isaac. This is, she bore Isaac and said, this is your son, Abraham. Here he is. I've waited all my life to be able to give you a son. I'm giving you a son now. That's what verse 2 is saying. So Isaac is Abraham's son. And notice again in verse 3, Isaac is referred to Abraham called the name of his son, was born unto him whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. Again, we see Isaac is called the son of Abraham that Sarah bore to Abraham. But in verse 10, when Sarah has snapped, she's not calling Isaac Abraham's son. Notice now how she refers to Isaac in verse 10. Wherefore she said unto Abraham, cast out this bondwoman or her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even Isaac. Oof. This is not, you have nothing to do with it, Abraham. (laughs) This is the son of this bondwoman, and this is my son. And who are you? Just do what I say. So, (laughs) Sarah is not calling Ishmael Abraham's son. Sarah is not calling Isaac Abraham's son. She's not said the son of this bondwoman should not be heir with your son. No, even with Abraham. Okay, so by calling Isaac her son, she's taken matters into her own hand, And Abraham is tempted, maybe just a little bit, to snap back, you think? Just tempted a little bit. And what we read about how this all came about in Genesis 21, 11, it says the thing was very grievous to Abraham's sight because of his son, who she just denied being his son, Ishmael. And the word used here to describe how Abraham felt when he heard this word is the word grievous. Abraham, this was very grievous. The Hebrew word is ra'ah. And it's translated wicked in other places. It's what the Lord Jesus Christ was speaking about in that same Psalm 22 when he said, For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. It's the assembly of the ra'ah. And this is how Sarah's words are appearing to him now, Abraham. It's ra'ah, it's wickedness. And speaking out about those who had gathered around him, the Lord, and were driving the nails into his hands, He calls them dogs, and he says they are the assembly of the wicked. And that's how Abraham felt with these words of Sarah. It was very wicked. The Hebrew word ra'ah for grievous is used to describe how Abraham felt in verse 10. It also means broken down, that word. In Isaiah 24, 19, it says, the earth is utterly broken down, ra'ah, dissolved. See, the Hebrew word ra'ah for grievous to describe how Abraham, Abraham felt is also the word that's used in Psalm 2 when it says, thou shalt break them, ra'ah, with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. That's how Abraham felt. He felt when he heard the words of Sarah, utterly shattered inside, utterly broken down like he's a potter's vessel, broken. And he felt that he'd been hit with a rod of iron. And he feels like he's dashed into pieces. Why? 
because of verse 11, it was because of his son, because of his son. He waited so long to have a son. He had Ishmael. He loved Ishmael before Isaac came. And uh, loved him afterward, too. He called him his son Ishmael, the son of this bondwoman. That's what you're talking about, my son? Abraham's heard Sarah deny Ishmael as his son. And the heart of the father has jumped to defend, has jumped to defend, jumped to protect his son Ishmael against Sarah. We can imagine how the heart of Abraham wants to strike back, defend Ishmael. We can imagine how Abraham wants to fire back the same words of his own to Sarah, who caused all this problem in the first place. But Abraham does something wonderful here. And there's something very beautiful that happens now. And you remember now that Sarah has already, when this whole thing transpired in Genesis 16:2, and Sarah said to Abraham, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing, so it's God's fault. I pray thee, going unto my maid, maybe I may attain children by her. And Abraham hearkened unto the voice of Sarah. Should have been hearkening unto the voice of God, but anyway, he's a good husband, I guess. Anyway. And then in Genesis 16:5, when it all went bad, it says, and Sarah said to Abraham, my wrong be on you, Abraham. It's all your fault. Don't ask me how. It just is. I've given my maid to thy bosom. When she saw it, she conceived. I despised in her eyes. And the Lord judged between me and you. It's your fault. I don't know. How could she come up with this? Some, somehow Sarah saw that it was all Abraham's fault. Maybe she was accusing Abraham of getting sweet on Hagar or something, you know? I heard that in Bonanza, getting sweet on. Anyway, maybe, I don't know. But anyways, there's something that's really in Sarah. But like I said, when you look at verses 10 through 12, there's something beautiful there. Verse 10, it says, she said unto Abraham. Verse 12 says, and God said unto Abraham. So what's beautiful about what's not said? Who's not speaking in verses 10 through 12? That's the beauty of verses 10 through 12. Abraham doesn't speak. Abraham sees the ra'ah, he sees the wickedness, he sees the pounding, he sees the shatteredness in Sarah's words. He's utterly broken, he's shattered it to pieces, and in the midst of all of this, he says nothing. That's a greatness of Abraham. In the midst of all this grievousness, he holds his tongue, and he waits for God to speak. Sarah speaks, makes him really upset, he keeps his tongue, and he waits for God to speak. He's doing exactly what it says to do in Proverbs eleven twelve. A man of understanding holds his peace. He's holding his peace, and he's a man of understanding. What does he understand? He understands that he can't do anything. He can't say anything that's going to calm this situation, so he holds his peace. What does he understand? He understands that if he says anything, it's only going to get worse. Abraham knows that if he lets loose with speaking of how he feels, that it's going to only get worse. So he grabs a hold of his temper, and he says, whoa. And he refrains his lips. So he's behaving like the Lord Jesus Christ. But we want to defend ourselves. We want to set the record straight. You can't say that and get away with it. But the Lord Jesus Christ didn't speak in Proverbs 26, 20. Where no wood is, there the fire goes out. Where no gasoline is, fire doesn't grow. (laughs) So where there's no terror, the strife ceaseth. They were making many false accusations against the Lord. And Pilate says to him in Matthew 27, 13 through 14, Hearest thou not how many things they witnessed against thee? Abraham, can you not hear what Sarah said to you? And then it says these golden words, He answered him to never a word. That's a great lesson for us. Hold our tongue. Don't get it off your chest. Leave it there. Vicks will cure it. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for being the God of Abraham. Because, Lord, we see Abraham was in a really, really hard position, and we thank you that you called yourself his God, and you took care of him in some really hard places. And that encourages us this morning to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Hi, this is Tom Cantor with Friendship with God. The hymn says, See all the world, wide open doors inviting. Soldiers of Christ, arise and enter in. Christians, awake, your forces all uniting. Send forth the gospel, break the chains of sin. Are you ready for your life to be used by God to send forth the gospel and break the chains of sin all throughout the 85 million souls in Ethiopia? We have an opportunity of a lifetime, a fully paid position to train 104 church planners who will bring the gospel all over Ethiopia. For nearly 10 years, Scanabodies has been in Ethiopia with the largest business in our region. On our beautiful 12-acre Wi-Fi connected compound is our wonderful new Ethiopia Bible Institute. Dormitory, study halls, dining hall, director's house, 400-seat auditorium. They're all built. They're waiting just for you to step out of your comfort zone and say, yes, Lord, here am I, send me. Why not trust God and go? You won't regret it. Call today, 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051.